Welcome to the Edge of NFT podcast with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger. We aim to bring you not only the top 1% of what's going on with NFTs today, but what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts in the business side, but also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things that we love. This podcast is for the futurists and dreamers, the disruptors and creators, the fans and connectors, and the makers and the doers that are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Today's episode features guests Benjamin Leff of Shisha and artist Vesa. Benjamin Leff is the COO of Shisha Finance, where he oversees operations and engages the Shisha community to help spread the word about Shisha Finance and gather feedback for the Shisha development team. Benjamin is an expert token sale community manager with experience growing and managing large online communities across multiple social media channels. Founder of Left Ventures, Ben is highly knowledgeable in creating grassroots excitement for new blockchain investments by leveraging years of experience building extensive industry relationships. Ben is a firm believer in the power of creating a project around the needs of the community, which varies from the traditional business model in the blockchain world. This comes from his experience in consulting several ICO blockchain projects from Mauritius to the United States to Vietnam and the UAE. From volunteering as a global ambassador for Liquid Exchange to co-hosting the Houston Bitcoin meetup with over 2,700 local members, Ben believes that mass adoption lies in the hands of the community at large. And VESA, is an artistic ambassador for Shisha Finance. He has been a digital art pioneer for 12 years after having innovated his own process. For the past three years, he has been full-time in the crypto art and NFT space. For the mainstream audience, he is best known for collaborating in a project with Bollywood actress Veena Malik, which was seen by around 300 million people through BBC World, The Independent, IBT, Times of India, Vice, etc. His piece, Fork and Flip, was the cover image on Forbes in the first article about the new movement. The collaboration with Cambridge Analytica whistleblower Brittany Kaiser is now heating up with Own Your Data Foundation for 2021. Vesa, a regular in the conference and speaking scene, also writes about creativity on News BTC, Mag NFT, and is represented as a speaker and performer by Speakers Forum LTD. Vez's art has been collected by hedge funds, exchanges, CEOs, and influencers. Among them are Charlie Lee, Tone Vase, Craig Wright, Ocean EX, and many others. Michael Schwartz, a professor of history and philosophy of art, put Vez's art among the all-time greatest expressions of Western expression. It's great to have you both here and really looking forward to hearing how you're working together. Yeah, Ben, Vesa, great to have you guys. Thanks so much for joining us. And I think it's a testimony to how the blockchain world has no hours of boundaries. It's like 2.30 in the morning where you are right now. Is that correct? Yeah, I just set my alarm uh, to wake me up about 15 minutes ago. And yeah, it's uh, thanks so much for, for having me. And of course, Ben uh, on the show. It's great to be here with you guys. Yeah, it's great to have you. We'll try to replace uh, coffee with some stimulating conversation at least so you can get back to sleep after this podcast. Oh, I'm fully awake now. I won't be able to sleep for a while. I'm buzzed. There, there you go. So guys, you guys are both OGs in this space. And I'm just curious, how did you react when digital collectibles and nfts hit the mainstream really hard the last few months what was your reaction like were you oh oh shit it's about time or this has been a slow roll for you or business as usual what was your reaction to the recent media attention on nfts sure so i'll speak to this real quick from my perspective it's actually kind of a little bit of both so i've been following several projects including blockchain heroes bitcoin origins some of the new original nft ones that were coming out on the wax blockchain and thought to myself you know it's about time uh, these games have been around with some very popular followers and large crowds or uh, communities for over a year now and slowly gaining traction things of that nature so to me i, I did partially feel like it's about time. 
I also felt like uh, it's also in the uh, bubbles, the wrong word, but there is a lot of stuff that has saturated the market. So I think people are really weeding their way and trying to navigate through uh, this whole NFT space, the realms, the marketplaces, where they can get NFTs, what an NFT really is and what it means. Is it something that just celebrities are endorsing? So there, there is a bit of both in there of the fear factor of the bubble, but then again, it's about time and we're just getting started with NFT use cases. Yeah, I, w- I would speak to that. I, I totally agree. It's a mixture of a bunch of things, really. I mean, I started making digital high-resolution art through this process, as, as was the intro, already about 13 years ago now. And I've been waiting for this moment to to happen for quite some time, huddling these, these artworks. And, and I've said that this is whole... There's really nothing that can be compared of what, what's going on in a certain kind of sense, because it's a liberation of a whole creative class of people. And for the visual artists, I suppose you don't have to anymore be under the uh, sort of guidance or thumb of corporations, not big ideologies. You're free to basically express yourself in whatever form you see fit and put it on the marketplace and see if it has legs. And the biggest limitation that I suppose I see with the market at the moment, as fantastic as it is, is a certain amount of awareness of maybe the legacy art world of what has been done uh, before and how it took thousands and thousands of years for us to figure out what it is that makes art valuable to begin with. And uh, to a certain degree, the NFT space is trying to reinvent the wheel and has to learn some hard lessons that way. But I completely agree with Ben that it's there's some bubble thinking, but I, I think it's just the first bull run of NFTs and then there's going to be a correction and then there's going to be another bull run and a correction and, and that's how it's going to go. Even though it has some flavors of the, the previous um, sort of bull run of ICOs, it, it's slightly different because the use cases and creativity is something that is very tangible and, and necessary. We've been waiting for this bottleneck to open for digital creatives ever since the dawn of computers. Quick follow-up on the comment that you made about opening up the space to a wider participation and, and opening up, leveling the playing field and so forth. Uh, a couple episodes back, listeners can check out us talking to, to Justin Wu, and we, we explored this little bit, this idea of is somebody going to be able to get into a new space and then use that space to leverage or how much of what people are bringing to the table is they already have an existing following. They already, people are paying attention to them and they're taking advantage of it. We're seeing that with various artists that, you know, just already have a following like Kings of Leon or something. And they're, they're creating something that has to do with NFTs. Or, or Vesa, like he has, a, he had a following before this craze, Right. Right. Yeah, so I guess where do you see the specific cases where it is opening up opportunities for people as opposed to, well, they need to have a general following no matter what, and NFT is just another medium that they use to connect with people? I I see it across the board. I I suppose to most people, depending on how much they've been following this whole development, it might appear as if if it's Paris Hilton and, and Kings of Leon, but I was really here before any of the NFT platforms. Like I said, I've been doing digital art for a long time, but even in the crypto art space, I've now been full-time for nearly four years. I was here before Super Rare was a platform, which is now pretty much the industry standard. And I've watched the space grow from nothing to what it is now. And I I, I see people who are kind of, excuse me, my dog is... (laughs) <laughs> starting to um drink oh, got a guest appearance here uh, <laughs> yeah. he, he's kind of funny knack of like always making a bunch of noises in different kinds of weird ways when i'm doing an interview uh can't be prevented uh sorry so um uh, where was i um I, I see the opportunities across the board really i see many people who have just pretty much started with their first sort of experiments and they're, they're selling their nfts on the marketplace i see people who've been around uh, for some time that you would think is maybe the the mid-range of things. Oh, I'm sorry. Just... <laughs> you got to get his name. We have to make sure he's on the, uh, the end. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, at this point, on, I feel like we got to see on, the dog. I don't know. <laughs> what are we? 
It's be a relatively big dog. Uh, oh, oh, yeah, there you go. Oh, so cute. Okay. Boxer. Dogs take over podcast interviews. <laughs> <laughs> He's the best. Just really, really socially awkward sometimes. Um, <laughs> Professor, what you mentioned lessons learned from years of doing this. What message do you have for folks just entering the space? Oh, it's um maybe it's maybe it's one of experimentation and this is why i think the legacy art world knowledge or let's say starting from scratch uh, arguably it's body painting or cave painting that are the oldest forms of art that that we know as human beings when since the dawn of time for us really of how we've started to express ourselves and trying to find why we make art to begin with to find these transcendent states or um, I, I mean, I've, I've got a lot of back problems at the moment, and this is why I'm a little uh, sort of uh, in, in strange positions recording this whole thing. And we're sort of trapped inside of this very merciless, even biological machine. <clears throat> and we try and find meaning. We'll start a short journey here uh, or long, depending on how you want to uh, look at it. And through this expression on the cave walls or painting ourselves for war or looking at the Milky Way as it passes us and trying to figure out what the hell this whole thing is about. I think that's the origin of why we started to express ourselves and try and find something in, in this whole thing. And it might have even gotten reduced along the way to this kind of insult banana on a Miami gallery wall that, <laughs> that was sold for $150,000 to kind of weird everyone out. So we've done a big progression of things and there's big ideologies and mental concepts and these things and it's easy to get lost in those i think if you the more you study from where we come from uh, and these fantastic temples and and things that are uh, all over the world that hold an incredible amount of knowledge of the human experience and studying a little bit of what's been done before it's easier to start thinking along the lines of actually making a contribution as well as not just repeating um, things done before. I, I just encourage people to explore what has been done before and then realize that you're now free because of NFTs to do and say pretty much whatever you please. And Ben, you've been in the position of helping people choose where to invest in previous roles and certainly now with, with Shisha Finance. What are your thoughts for up-and-coming artists or established artists that are new to the digital collectible space? I'm sure some of them come to you for some guidance. What have you shared with them? Sure. So, you know, one thing that I've shared with them and, and that we're taking on as an ethos at Shisha Finance is education and empowering the digital art world and this new creative uh, renaissance, which is one reason uh, we're really, really honored that VESA has chosen to be our artistic ambassador for Shisha Finance. And the one thing that I say to people who are looking at NFTs more than anything are the use cases. Why, why do you what, what want this? What, is there any specific meaning, significance, things of that nature? Or are you looking for the quick flip, things like that? And again, there's nothing wrong with that. NBA Top Shots being a good example, people selling out packs within a few seconds and then them making five to 10 times on secondary markets. But at the end of the day, it's Shisha Finance, our goal, not only as a company to provide a diversified portfolio of DeFi products, is to also provide a diversified portfolio of artists by way of VESA's guidance. And that is to help, again, teach them how to curate content for themselves and truly become their own, not just artists, but their own brokers and choose what platforms they would like to put things on and really take full possession of their content from curation to selling it and everything in between. So as Vesa had pointed out, you know, there was no super rare in the beginning. I remember OpenSea being the first marketplace and things of that nature. And now certain ones have opened up specifically for art, some for games and, and some for many other purposes, marketplaces for NFTs. And so what we really want to identify is each individual's pursuit in this space and help them grow in that capacity. Well, Bessa, I haven't known you that long yet, but you seem more like one of the judges of The Voice than American Idol. I have the sense that you really want to support these artists on their journey. Oh, absolutely. 
it makes the journey ever so more meaningful. I started digital creativity 1999 professionally, and I can only imagine how different my career and sort of things would have been if I would have gotten paid for some of the early Photoshop and photography experiments that I did already back in the day. And I went, went the route of film, which is a very collaborative art form, then going into visual arts and making that through these body painting sort of mixed media experiences. It's a real honor then to be able to guide people into some of the knowledge that I've gathered as well as be helped by them. Because every time you lift someone up, I'm at least surprised by how much there's all of a sudden a contribution that comes back. And as many know, the, the whole of the crypto space is pretty much a community driven experience. So I'm, I'm just hoping to be a part of the contribution towards it. But due to having done a lot of, a lot of work before, I'm, I may be able to point people to some things that they don't have to use as much time as I did in order to discover them. So very much so. And I don't think I'm, I'm aware, Ben, how did you two become connected? What was the trajectory? Was it kind of a slow connection over a long period of time? Did you kind of meet and everything started to synergize? So how did your relationship grow? I don't want to speak for Vesa, but for me, I'll say it was a, a pretty quick friendship. We met at NFT Day last year where uh, Left Ventures was sponsoring, my company, excuse me, was sponsoring one of uh, this this wonderful event. It was the first of its kind. It was the first digital conference surrounding NFTs, and Vesa was a featured artist. As soon as I saw him give his speech live, I, I reached out via email. I went to his website, and I believe we were talking within 30 or so minutes after that getting on a Zoom call. And from there, I've been not only an avid collector of his work, but just following him and watching him lead the space and bring him on board tremendous projects such as Shisha Finance. Yeah, we became fast friends. It, it's strange how, how quickly some chemistries take off and what started as an interest in work and a business transaction to, to a relative degree, I think it started feeling like a friendship within 24 hours. Absolutely. Guys, are you, are you on, on Shisha, Shisha Finance and the relationship there actually minting NFTs as a part of that relationship or are you creating the conduit for other artists to create NFTs? So uh, both uh, Vesa as our featured and premiered artist. So as a thank you, everyone who participates in our liquidity generation events that are occurring right now will receive an NFT that Vesa has created specifically for us. It's absolutely beautiful. And it in and of itself is, is a reason enough to participate having that piece of work. That being said, Vesa will also help drive new artists, but we certainly plan on commissioning him for future pieces as well. Well, if you guys don't mind, I'd like to present to you an image that is useful not only to the artists, but perhaps the collectors as well, or anyone who's an appreciator of the NFT space, in particular through the through the lens of visual arts. Is this okay with you? Let's do it. You mean like share screen or something? Yeah, cool. Uh, no, 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 no. Just to, just to present an idea, I'll just take a couple of minutes to go through. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but there's a rainbow at the end of the pot, so to speak. Uh, uh, that's not the, how the saying goes. Anyway, th this is my 2.30 in the morning, so please. I like me. it. The rainbow at the end of the pot. It sounds like a, like a drug reference, but it sounds fun. It fits quite well with Shisha. It fits well. Never mind. So, uh, and it starts from a very bizarre place, I suppose, because I only realized this uh, a while ago, that when, when Richard Nixon took out the gold standard from underneath the dollar in 1971, is how clearly that affected the art world, actually. And uh, that's around the time that Warhol starts his factory and he starts doing silkscreen printing, sort of this snarky social commentary and corporate pop culture, these kinds of things, and essentially kind of glitzy cool things for the rich that is then taken to a whole nother level via Jeff Koons in the 80s and then Damien Hurst in the 90s. And they made a bazillion dollars making these sort of very jet set class type of things. And it's maybe encompassed by saying that it's this sexy death type of thing. And to a relative degree, MTV was a factor in that whole thing, the sort of youth rebellion and those kinds of things. And now NFTs are pretty much the MTV 2.0 to a relative degree. And it's sort of this, um, it's driven by 
uh, FOMO and status and, and a bunch of different things. But you could say that ideologically, that part is quite a narrow bandwidth. And what started happening around the 71 mark on the flip side of that same coin that I now call actually fiat art is that postmodernism started taking over. And this is a bizarre story altogether because it sort of presents this theory of, of how everything is rela relative. There's no really uh, real truth. It's all sort of per per perspectives and things. But essentially it started from how the French communists couldn't really be communists anymore. And then they took uh, a few of the French philosophers and essentially held the values of Marxism and ended uh, up sort of adding gender and race and a couple of other things onto the platform of the fight of the proletariat. So they did this sort of sleight of hand type of thing to a degree. And some of it is massively useful and it's helped us deconstruct ourselves to the point of where we don't really know who and what we are anymore and we can only go up from here. So ever since 71, about maybe 50 years or so, the art itself has been able to be sort of fancy things for the rich that are maybe a little bit to the shallow side of the spectrum or political propaganda from the far left, pretty much. And those are the things that I would call the history of art during the last 50 years, which is fiat art. And it leaves out the body painting, the cave painting, the ancient Egypt, the enlightenment period, natural sciences, sort of all of these wonderful things, even these um, shamanic healers from Peru and the sort of ayahuasca movements. There's such a bandwidth of the human experience that art hasn't really touched. Um, and you could say maybe Banksy or someone is a part of the, the sort of postmodernist movement as a as a thing that it sort of comes from the the bottom up and critiques the sort of elites and has you could say a very socialist agenda to a relative degree and this is the beauty of nft art that all of a sudden you don't have to rely on it needing to be just any of those things you can start to explore as far back as you would would like and just see if there are uh, people who would jump on board. But here lies the problem of the collectorship and the appreciatorship, because academically art has been a very narrow bandwidth for a while of what they've taught in universities and what the whole experience is. And now you have these collectors who come into the space from crypto. And they're quite often the smartest guys in the room. They're risk takers, they're super bullish on things and they see the future and how it can be implemented into platforms and these cryptographic solutions and they just go for it and they start building up nft portfolios and they understand that this whole collectible space is about to blow up and it's 50 years of copy computing or 60 years is coming to an end and all of a sudden we have digital scarcity but because we haven't even had proper education of the arts in the academia at all now these guys start to do their sort of uh, thing in the art world, but they're not perhaps uh, very knowledgeable of even the fiat art segment of what's already been done and what's not been done before and what might, to those who've been around the, the art world, look as something that is done to death, <laughs> even inside the, the last 20 years or something might appear as genius to them. And because they are the smartest guys in the room and there's a lot of ego involved in the whole thing, then all of a sudden you have an incentive mechanism and a kind of perspective mechanism that can easily go askew a little bit. So this is why speaking to how Ben was saying to begin with about the different bubbles and saturation of the market and things like that. So for the wise investors, if they take as long a view as this, that this has been compressed to you now, uh, you'll start to be more easily able to pick projects that will survive the first correction and the second correction and third correction, because it's all of a sudden embedded into this history of thousands upon thousands of years of knowledge of what we've accumulated in order to have the respectability and the prestige of the name art to begin with, of what, what the tangible side of it is outside of the pretentious sort of pinky red wine glass drinking stuff. Then it becomes not only as a, a holistic experience for you, you remember why we make art to begin with, and then why some of it has sustainable value and why we should carry some of that to the coming generations and maybe you're collecting something now and you're already thinking that this is how your children are going to finance their future ventures because daddy or mommy was smart enough to invest into a piece of art mic drop mic drop yeah. <laughs> just gotta breathe in from there for a moment and Dude, 
absorb. I, I mean, I feel like every everyone in the world needs to hear what you just said if they want a crash course in art history. <laughs> uh, we need to give you this content to share with the world, man. Yeah. Really well said, Vesa. Very much so. I mean, you guys are clearly super long NFT, super long art in the NFT space. What comes along with that, right, is, is all this data, all the metadata, all the provenance information, this entire you know, ecosystem is transparent. And I'm curious as how that relates to the Own Your Data Foundation and the work you guys are doing there. Beautiful. Yeah, this is, again, much to do with Ben and our started conversations because I'm, of course, aware of the Cambridge Analytica story, even at that point uh, when we met with Ben and, and quite inspired by how much that whole project and Facebook and the polarization and the algorithms and these documentaries on Netflix now, like uh, Social Dilemma, uh, and of course the great hack, uh, how, how much this online life and, and algorithms are influencing our, our social life now. And Brittany Kaiser being um, at, the, at the very epicenter of this whole story, and due to the kind introduction of Ben to Brittany, I then suggested that this similar process that I did with Vina Malik before, the Bollywood actress, that we process her life and the grander story through this art filter kind of thing that I do, and we make them directly into motion NFTs that are simultaneously expressing a part of her personal life and how that influences us, the whole paradigm, but also how maybe even partly educational, because we aren't really yet fully aware of how to utilize these tools of social media. And every one of us is uh, more or less addicted to our phones. And we see how families are now polarizing, even on things that we used to be able to agree on very easily. Now, all of a sudden, we can't come to consensus as, as human beings, even with the simplest of things. And it, it's quite scary to see this process unfold. Is the earth round or is it flat? That one's been a common question over the past uh, decade or so. There is a channel <laughs> called Cool Hard Logic on YouTube that anyone who wants to go down that rabbit hole to finally come out of their flat earth retardedness, that <laughs> that's going to help. <laughs> So I just polarized some flat earthers there, but you know, I'm kind of good with that. So guys, I can't leave this podcast without getting both of your perspectives on the platforms that are out there for NFTs now and that are coming up and which ones you like, what you think, what you're looking for next. I've heard about palm.io coming out. Vesa, your work is featured on a number of different platforms. What platforms... Do you enjoy the most? How do you sort of differentiate them in your mind? Which ones you use for which reasons? What's your take there? And by the way, the super arrow portrait of Brittany is just badass that you did. It's super cool. And I almost jumped the gun there before at least mentioning how impressed I am with that piece of work that you, you put together. Ben, do you want to go first about the platforms or should I? Sure, sure. With regards to the platforms, you know, it uh, starts with, you know, first identifying what it is you're looking for. As Vesa said, Super Rare has become, I would say, currently the gold standard for art. People looking for, you know, probably I would say the most famous or prestigious artists are going to be listed on Super Rare. They've got a quite an intense vetting process for people who are playing blockchain-based games and, and need NFTs for that. OpenSea is certainly the largest marketplace on Ethereum. And then we can't go without speaking about the WAX blockchain and all of the development that's been going on with WAX, which uh, stands for Worldwide Asset Exchange. For those of you who have not familiarized yourselves yet with WAX. One thing, I'm just going to go ahead and dive right into where I believe in the future, where we're headed very quickly, is a very interesting platform that my friend is actually developing. It's much like KeyBids, where you started a penny and you get, you get uh, when you're auctioning something off and at the last second, if somebody bids, more time gets added to the clock. Things of that nature, the gamification of selling, selling these products and NFTs are being built into new platforms. And I think that's going to be really fun to see. Just logging in and searching through a gallery is no longer enough. What I'm really most excited about 
and uh, I often I've admitted to Vesa find myself spending time doing is spending time in the metaverses like crypto voxels and super world and decentraland and seeing what people are building out there in the nfts that they're putting inside of these games and Vesa himself has a beautiful pyramid in crypto voxels with many of his works in there and you can actually walk around and and feels so immersive and that's where i see the space leading and i'm going to let vesa speak more to that because i i know he's had a lot more hands-on experience uh, with the immersion part of it but it's really incredible to be able to basically wander around you know a very unique art gallery that is uh, one of a kind and in its own little world well said ben um yeah the pyramid experience is is something that we made about a year ago on crypto voxels with this other french artist called ogar and that was the beginning for me as a gamified gallery thing because if you think that most of the galleries now in the world there's sort of white walls and a little bit of uh, cold atmosphere and some art that doesn't mostly make sense to people uh, if it doesn't make sense to me i can't imagine how it makes sense to anyone else uh, <laughs> for, for the most part so we, we made this pyramid that is in the correct sort of aspect ratio of the giza pyramid and then it's got these hidden rooms and and documentaries and embedded sort of secrets all over as is appropriate for egypt and then I made these QR code hunts for my own token called Cash Chagvesa. And we, we held events there and things like that. And NFTs, because uh, mo most people say that it's the, the argument is that it's, I can only right click and save, why would I use money on that? And uh, the, the whole thing being that it's the underlying technology that makes it scarce to begin with. But then uh, through all of these different kinds of things, you can truly make art much more interactive and much more of a communal experience in in that sort of a way and crypto voxels you can now sort of mint these sneakers for your avatar that go for more than many of the expensive sneakers in, in the whole realm and I'll, i'm privileged to be making a drop with terra virtua uh, soon which is a platform that i'm really excited about because as opposed to uh, all the respect due for super rare and OpenSea and those that ben mentioned these guys are taking the copyright and intellectual property rights and those kinds of things so seriously that they're able to make partnerships with large hollywood studios and and so forth. What was the name of that platform again, Vesa? Uh, Terra Virtua, uh, and they even have oh, right. their own coin as well. And, and and I'm familiar with Gary, the founder, and we were actually having a conversation later on today about my first drop there. For many reasons, I'm excited about that. I'm also privileged to be building with Superworld as one of their ambassadors, which is very cool, immersive, augmented reality experience, as well as virtual reality. And you can own plots of land there from the whole of the globe. So you can either buy the Burj Khalifa or you can buy your childhood home area with some Ethereum and build these uh, augmented reality experiences there. And as, as you know, it now becomes apparent that I'm a little bit of an Egypt, Egyptian culture freak. I bought the Luxor temple, uh, which is in the shape of a man. And with the team of Superworld, we're building this experience that is a sort of gamified gallery that is taking the pyramid experience to the next level. And that's something that is still maybe a couple of months away from, from completion, but that's something that I'm definitely enthused about. I'd mention maybe blockchain art exchange is a little bit less known, but definitely has OG status. And the CEO, Sasha Bailey, is the son of David Bailey, the world famous photographer. And he's been sort of immersed in art his whole life and curating to a high level and friends with Damien Hurst and so forth. But due to his perspective, which is a little bit of what happened to me as well, and kind of speaking to the mic drop moment before, is that there has been a lot of things that have been happening behind the scenes. Um, and due to uh, a lack of, of awareness, maybe to a, to a certain degree, and then sort of uh, other things outside of art being the priority, uh, then almost being sidelined a little bit from the first developments of, of things. Uh, I don't want to complicate that too much, but I, I would bring up that the blockchain art exchange is one to be paid attention to. And Sasha is now in Japan actually building over there and starting the Asian community, uh, more to come to the market from that side. And I think that's a, um, that's a, a, an exciting development. And of course, China is coming into the picture. And due to my sort of things that I'm building with a couple of platforms and 
and connections in Dubai, I, I know uh, a little bit of what's going on behind the scenes of what the what some of the Chinese are, are building. And that's kind of an exciting new development because you could say that ideologically now, uh, and this kind of comes into the, uh, to the moment of, of what's going on in terms of expression, you could say that American rap is a great example because it starts from the East Coast. It's a really punchy sort of message medium. And then um, a little bit later, um, it sort of kind of waters down to the West Coast into California. It's a party. Uh, and this time uh, it, it sort of started from California. It starts with these collectors and platforms that were started from Silicon Valley and they wanted use cases for their platforms. And now these expansions that essentially are becoming the United Nations of the NFTs market space, you have China and Japan and many of these other things entering the market space. Also, the bandwidth of expression is going to widen uh, quite a bit. And I, 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 that's really, really exciting for the actual expression itself. Um, because we're going to see a lot of very incredible things as appreciators of art through, due to these developments. I don't know, Ethan, Josh, we, we got some work to do. We thought we knew about <laughs> all the platforms that were out there and, uh, and where things were going. Yeah, so that, that's amazing. You know, uh, before we transition to our edge quick hitters, uh, Benjamin, I'd, I'd love to hear more about the non-NFT side of Shisha Finance, like the overarching platform here. Can you tell me a little bit about it? Would love to. Thanks for asking. So aside from obviously the artistic side uh, that we have with VESA, Shisha Finance is all about providing our platform users a diversified portfolio to DeFi projects. It's a very, very simple way to do it. So we have a liquidity, uh, we're doing a liquidity generation event as it stands that ends on April 8th. And once that's over, our users will be able to stake their LP tokens and they will be receiving not just our Shisha tokens uh, as a reward, but also tokens from partner projects. And we are speaking with 90 projects that either we have worked with directly or advised as team members or advisors on our team. So we know these projects and have done due diligence with them. And what is a what is going to be a really, really big game-changing moment, I suppose, for Shisha Finance is when people realize, hey, I can purchase a LP token for Shisha Finance and I will be rewarded uh, with many different tokens from liquid projects as well as ones that are coming up that have not maybe been released and we're operating on both the ethereum and binance smart chains as well so users have the freedom to, to choose where they think the DeFi world is going to be heading and where more platforms will be developed going down the road right on shisha.finance guys check it out shisha.finance absolutely thank you fellas I'm so pumped to hit edge quick hitters with you guys. I'm really excited to, uh, to hear your answers on these questions. So as a reminder, they're just fun, quick questions, a way to get to know you a little bit better. 10 questions. We're just looking for one word or a handful of words. If you feel like you really want to expand on something, you know, feel free to do it if you get the urge. But uh, we're looking for quick hitters and um, we'd love to jump right in and can maybe just switch back and forth as we go through uh, each of you guys answering each question. Sound good? Sure. Awesome. All right, let's start with you, Ben, since you're live right now. What is the first item you ever purchased? <laughs> it's called a battle pug from a game known as Ether Kingdoms, which the entire game actually, God, what a great question. The entire game got turned into an NFT. So this is what I have to expand upon. Wow. I purchased the NFT in 2017 to increase my mining operations inside of this game. I didn't know what an ERC721 token was. Long story short, the entire game and IP rights were sold on OpenSea for 10 Ether just the other day to someone who can continue developing the platform. Unfortunately, the game, I believe, was a bit ahead of its time. So, wow. But it is also a testament to see how far NFTs have come as somebody did purchase it and hopefully will be revitalizing the game. That's awesome. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll maybe speak to that to go that it's better to say what I first minted rather than what I first bought because it's the longest time that I've, uh, I, I bought NFTs. I'm more on the contributor side, but the very first one I think I minted was on Codex uh, Protocol 
And it was this collaboration thing that we did with the Bad Crypto Podcast guys, Joel and Travis. We had a common mission for, for this conference in Vegas called World CryptoCon. And we made this collaborative charity piece that is now signed by m- many of the top names in the whole space from Brock Pierce to Vitalik to Andreas Antonopoulos to Charles Hoskinson to the list goes on and on. And we, we intend to eventually make that the most expensive crypto art piece ever sold and then donate all of that to a Texas charity, a women's shelter that Blake Rizzo, the lawyer of the Litecoin Foundation, has set up for them. And this, this is a long, long going project that has been taking two and a half years at this point. Eventually, we're, we're going to make world news with that thing. Nice, I bet. Well, that, that parlays right into the second question, which is, what is the first item you ever sold? Oh, uh, well, as an NFT? This can be NFT or just in, in life in general. As far as I remember, it might have been an umbrella at a flea market with my mom when it started to rain. And I had a bunch of umbrellas that my grandfather had given me. And I made an absolute killing with those umbrellas. Nice. Literally an umbrella. All salesman done. Rain. <laughs> <laughs> Starting early. How about you, Ben? If we're going back that early, quite frankly, it's cheesy to say selling lemonade in my childhood corner was the very first thing I remember selling but but in a more recent time one of my biggest regrets is letting go a lot of my Pokemon cards or my collection that I had from when I was a child uh, because we're obviously seeing digital collectibles becoming big again as NFTs and uh, obviously the scarcity there with these collection cards like Pokemon and Magic the Gathering are becoming quite um, old school (laughs) definitely aging myself. There's a lot of lemons that have been squeezed in Pokemon cards that have been collected and sold on entrepreneurs that have come on this podcast already. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> okay, guys. So what is the most recent thing you purchased? One of Vessa's pieces. How <laughs> <laughs> about you, Vessa? Um, there's this Indian guy called Payal, and he has a daughter who is 15 years old, and she had made this commemorative first piece to enter into the NFT market. And it's the Lord Ganesh from the Hindu tradition in this sort of beautiful image of that, how the daughter described as uh, women's empowerment. And, and as Andres Antonopoulos was my very first sort of introduction to come into the whole space. And he started talking about firstly, uh, banking the 3.5 billion people who might have might not have a bank account, but even now he's taken it further to say that it's unbanking all of us. But I bought this actually yesterday, maybe it was like $230 or something, this art piece by this 15-year-old from India. And I I thought it was a beautiful completion of a circle because his father has been supporting me online quite a bit, sharing and commenting always and and being a part of the journey. So uh, that felt like a beautiful moment. And it was just hours ago. Story is important. What is the most recent thing you sold? The most recent thing I've sold, uh, let's see. Oh, I actually sold a couple of, I let go of a few NFTs the other day that I received on, on the Wax blockchain. They are actually, going back to the Bad Crypto Podcast guys, they're uh, NFTs of the Bad Crypto Podcast guys, Joel and Travis. They gave us some pretty unique NFTs of themselves and I had a couple of copies. So put, put a few on the market. How about you, Vesa? Yeah, there's actually a pretty cool story that happened a couple of days ago because when COVID hit, well, all of my commissions melted. Everything was looking very, very shaky. <clears throat> and I had this NFT that I'd made as a motion animation of Yoda and this sort of Star Wars universe type of thing that was a little bit cheeky and funny. And I, I straight up panicked and someone had made an offer for one 1.1 Ethereum about a year ago, which was then... $223 or something for this art piece. And with my weakest hand ever, I, I let it go. And uh, now just a couple of days ago, it got sold on the secondary market for 11 Ethereum. Uh, and that was $23,000, I, I suppose, uh, wow. now altogether as a resale. And I made again uh, back uh, 1.1 Ethereum uh, as as sort of my commission or my re- um uh, how do you call it, the, the, the commission, the resale thing, because it's 10% on, on super rare. Uh, so that was maybe a couple of grand or something like that. So I made 10 times more with the resale uh, than I did uh, of the first initial sale. 
And uh, I suppose that made the, the collector quite happy as well, because with a $223 investment, he made 23 grand. Uh, that's, uh, I'd say that's pretty okay for a year. NFTs, baby. <laughs> so what is your most prized possession? Sure, sure. I have two. Uh, there's the tra traditional art. I have a I have a Peter Lick piece uh, hanging in my living room. He's a, a very famous photographer, and my wife and I are, are have a connection to the city of New York. And I have a, a picture of uh, kind of it's called uh, Nights Over Brooklyn, but uh, it's looking from Brooklyn over New York City. That is one of my favorite physical pieces. Another is Vesa's, and it's called Lakshmi, and it is Lakshmi, the the goddess of of wealth and and giving, and she's reigning down bitcoins and gold and silver and it's an extremely massive piece i believe it's uh three feet by six feet long something along those lines so definitely need to have some space in your house if you want to hang any of Vessa's pieces that being said those are the two most prized possessions that i have from an art perspective nice the question is does vesa have an umbrella to sell you and it's that asset storm that was created <laughs> He might need to mint a few Umbrellas NFT versions. I, I think we're, we're thinking along the same lines. I'm going to have to make something of that story because <laughs> uh, that's, I, I would say maybe as a creation that I'm holding from myself, it's the main piece that we did with Vina Malik, this sort of snapshot from the moon of the earth with all of our different kind of spiritual traditions in harmony uh, with one another this round piece called the flower of life and because i spent two years on that and it's such a beautiful concept that's still my sort of most prized expression and it hasn't even yet sold a, a single version of it and it's waiting for the right collector and in terms of holding other people's art there's a master called joselito sabogal a peruvian artist who uh, was incremental in my start journey to become an artist from 2006 onward, jumping from film to contemporary art. And I have numerous of these pieces. He's, he's uh, painted on my acoustic guitar. He's done various other kind of things for me. And his works and befriending him was the thing that gave me the vision and the courage to jump from film to contemporary art, which at that point, having a production company and more was a scary thing to do so he is my uh, mentor and someone who i'm forever grateful for and someone i'm really wanting to bring into the blockchain space now so Vesa, if you could buy any item in the world that's currently for sale what would it be wow ben do you want to take this first i'll go second <laughs> come on man there's so much stuff i want to buy but any item in the world gotta be for sale though it's got to be for sale currently. Okay. Um, geez, I'm unbelievable how you just run into a whole wall when you're asked, you know, you're right? given any <laughs> given an unlimited amount of money, what item, what single item would you purchase that, that is currently for sale? For me, I, I would have to say. Uh, I have an idea if you want to think. Go ahead, Vesa. I have, I have a couple. It's basically, if it's possible to track down what is the confirmed first Bitcoin, if that was available on the market, then it could be that I would own the first ever minted Bitcoin. Uh, that's something that I would very much like to have in my wallet. It's funny you mentioned that because with, I was going through a few things and, and what I would really like is a Cassius coin which obviously, as many of you know, you know, they have physical Bitcoin representations. Uh, some of them have as much as uh, the original 50 Bitcoins loaded onto them from, from the Genesis block and things of that nature. So that would be what I would like to purchase. They are for sale. They're extremely rare. And it's a wonderful physical representation of Bitcoin and an extremely incredible way to store Bitcoin as well. Nice. Okay, shifting gears a little bit. If you could pass on one personality trait of yours to the next generation, what would it be? Let's start with you, Ben. Persistence. Definitely don't give up. There's a lot of times I, I never even thought that would be uh, on any podcast whatsoever, especially one with, with such prestigious people and speaking with so many bright minds in the space. And it certainly was a change moving from corporate America to crypto and things of that nature. But certainly persistence, don't give up, chase your dreams. Those are all the things I would say pass on rather to the future generations at the end of the day, though. Your fight is your own and, and you've got to stand up and go for it. Right on. 
How about you, Vest? I would go with the same persistence, as important as that is. But as Ben already said that, I would say it's always the same thing. It's ever the cliche, but love is the answer. So pass on the love, whatever it is that you love. Don't hold that stuff back. Lead with love, man. Got it. Number eight, if you could eliminate one personality trait of yours from the next generation, what would it be? Start with you, Vesa. That's a difficult one because we don't really look at the long-term consequences of things to a relative degree. Let's say, like, for example, now we have this thing that many, many people are talking about hate speech, so to speak. And uh, while I agree to a large extent, uh, th- there's much we could let go of in terms of how much disrespect we're dishing to one another. But you know how you can love something that appears hateful to someone because they're saying the truth about something and because of our sort of uh, delusions, we might be holding on to something that we sometimes need, tough love. And that's not hate, but it's hard to define the, the positive effect of someone loving something that appears to be hateful to someone else. In that kind of way, uh, there's a certain amount of neuroticism or maybe being too quick to anger or things like that that I have within myself. But because of that quick to anger, I'm also very sharp to move to go into the direction that I would like to see as opposed to don't because I have an initial reaction to something. So I would maybe pass that on as something that we should be a little bit more careful to think about our drives and how complex the human machine is before we go about making wishes and how to alter it before we don't, before we understand how the machine itself works. Super meta, man. I like it. Much appreciated. Ben? Sure. Much simpler. Mine uh, stubbornness. Always, you know, keep an open mind and, and keep an open heart. The, the Tavessa's point, kind of love is the answer to everything. That's something I would love to shed. And I think everybody could probably let go of a little bit of stubbornness and, and open their minds a bit more around the world. Isn't stubbornness a little bit to do with persistence, though? It is. Uh, so it, it's a double-edged sword, right? And and that's that's persistence, right? So don't give up, but at the same time, keep an open mind. Let's put it that way. Tricky. I definitely speak to that as well. I could have let go of a bunch of stubbornness. <laughs> so sure. guys, what, uh, what did you do just before joining us on the podcast? We'll start with you, Ben. Just before joining you all, I called my grandfather and wished him a happy 90th birthday, actually. And I would love to put that in this podcast. Happy 90th birthday, Opa. You well-deserved and you've lived an amazing life. Cool. Happy birthday, Opa. Great. Yeah. Happy Thank birthday. you. Thank you. I was, I was asleep, as you know. <laughs> what were you dreaming about? <laughs> I can't say that I remember. Maybe more sleep. Thank <laughs> But luckily, I'm here with you guys, and I'm super psyched. This has been so much fun. This is awesome. Well, last, last question, guys. What are you going to do right after the podcast? That's it. Yeah, go back to sleep if I can. <laughs> I knew the answer to that one. How about you, Ben? I'm going to go have a, a wonderful evening with my wife and, and call it a night. There we go. Awesome. Well, thanks, guys. That was Edge Hot Topic, or, or excuse me, <laughs> Edge Quick Hitters had hot topics on the mind. We had a few uh, really interesting things happening in the space, the world of NFTs right now. Uh, if you got a couple more minutes, we'd love to, to hit a couple of these and see what you guys think about it. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. You know, the, probably the biggest one that, that's worth discussing that we made a note of, we talked about a little bit, there's been some stuff in the news about, is this sort of a bubble over already? But one question that came up is what happens to your crypto assets after you die? And I'm not sure if any of us has any ideas about that, but but it's definitely something of concern, especially if you've you've got some drive hidden in a closet somewhere, buried in a in your backyard. <laughs> it, it's so interesting. I, you know, there's some security platforms out there now, like Keeper, that let you sort of turn over the keys to everything you have to somebody else after a certain waiting period. But it's a big problem, right? What about the stuff we even forget the passwords to ourselves and we would have to reset? Where have we hidden things that we don't even remember? Never mind, give them to, to someone else. There's many treasure hunts that will begin at the end of many lives, I think, moving forward. What do you guys think? 
I know Josh and Jeff and probably all, all of you together have, have invested in crypto assets probably a thousand times over what I have. So I'm sort of relatively recent to the space. But I think that's part of why I've, I've limited some of my investments as well is because I'm afraid I'll lose track of them. <laughs> so I would just put that out there. You know, it's just it's kind of a meta question to what we were talking about. But in, the, in this domain where you, you want to invest in this, you want to invest in that. And if I want something on OpenSea or I have to go to this platform, I have to go to that platform, I have to go to that platform. I guess it could be a surprise waiting for me 10 years down the line that I remember that I invested in it. But it could also, you know, be something lost. So sounds like you need some shisha, Ethan. Um, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll say it before Ben does. On topic. Yeah, that way you won't have to worry about it at all. Set it and forget it. So, yeah. And, and, and Ben, is that something that you think about in terms of people that are investing with you, what, you know, as them passing along their assets or making that feasible? Sure. I've actually, it's something I've actually done a little bit with myself. So in the traditional sense, I've created a will and listed how I would like my my assets to be divvied up. uh, Should I leave this earth before I'm ready? But that being said, there is an entire technical element behind it of who do I trust to open the secret box where my private keys are and things of that nature. It's an entire concept, I believe, that the industry really hasn't gotten into yet because we're we're only 11 years in, 10 or 11 years in, we're still burgeoning. So passing things on after someone physically leaves us is something that is, is, is really meta, you know, kind of a meta thought right now. But I've done what I can, provided written instructions, hidden them, locked them up, buried the key, swallowed it, whatever. But that's kind of the only thing you can do right now until some technology catches up, like Josh was saying, and we have a bit more something of, of substance where you can lock everything into a, an escrow account, perhaps that breaks open a X number of days or years after your death. But who knows how yeah. to activate that yet? But yeah, it's interesting. I often think back to the early 2000s and, and I was interested in investing in gold. And I found this site called Kitco and I went on and I purchased some gold. And I was quite nervous at that moment. And I was thinking, yeah, I don't know what this is. It's just some company on the internet. Are they going to run off with the money that I gave them? Who says I actually own this? And of course, that company's still there. They have an incentive to maintain their credibility. They'll, they'll make way more money being a credible company that helps you manage your assets than one that takes them. I definitely agree with Josh. I think these solutions are going to be in the near future. And, and there'll be ways for us to keep track of these things. One that ties in explicitly to the world of crypto, to the world of NFTs, right? It really lets you plug in in a specific way is going to be, it's, it's a legit business opportunity. I'm sure there's people working specifically on it for the realm of crypto, but I, I haven't heard of them. I don't know who it is. It would help a lot. There was a Finnish guy who actually lived in the same building as uh, I did. And he, he was one of the very, very early investors, 2011 or 10 even uh, into Bitcoin. And he, he used to sell gold and silver and then he went full force and already i think in 2014 or 15 or something he bought a castle in estonia with some of his bitcoin profits and this guy just died a few months ago in a car accident and i have no idea how how well or unwell he had protected his crypto assets we weren't friends or even you could say barely acquaintances but I remember wondering about that because like you guys have been saying we're very early into this whole thing and some solutions have popped up here and there but it's a fairly young industry there's a lot of young people and maybe they don't think about the the legacy side of things too much at this point but it's definitely a concern and something that I haven't paid enough attention to and maybe due to this conversation I will not a bad idea I think we could do like a half hot topic here. I know everybody's got things to do and spend time with their family. But I, the question has come up here in the media of is this is some of this crypto boom currently led by stimulus checks in the United States? And does that mean once the stimulus checks are, are used up, then then the value of everything drops, especially within NFTs? Any thoughts on that? I'll go ahead, Ben, if you don't mind. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, certainly. I, I think there's proof that it's in, in part that. But I think the big picture is what's not being discussed is the monetary system itself and the deflationary nation of our debt-based amalgam of how the central banking and commercial banking and government together, of how money works. I think the boom of crypto and why we might be seeing the longest bull run 
we have and maybe won't calm down to a relative degree for a long time is that a lot of different wealth is looking for an escape from the legacy finance system because if you listen to someone like Michael Saylor or you listen to Andreas Antonopoulos and you get the underlying value argument of crypto, most people look at crypto itself and not what's going around in crypto. And crypto starts to easily make a lot more sense once you realize the system we're now embedded in and why people are looking looking for an escape from it. And then all of a sudden, many of the arguments about legitimacy or energy consumption or those kinds of things, they start to appear very different because Bitcoin is not an insulated thing. It's more like a reaction towards something that has been going on for the longest of times. I would encourage people to maybe get their base education from Andres Antonopoulos or Michael Saylor. And then all of a sudden, from there, you go easily into NFTs and digital collectibles and things like that. It's sort of this whole, I'm dating myself here as, a, as an 80s kid, but it's a little bit the wax on, wax off thing from uh, Karate Kid. It's You learn the foundations uh, a little bit and all of a sudden you'll find yourself to be uh, a relative martial artist of this whole space. And that really goes to the art side and everything that I've been saying about that. Uh, there's so much information out there. It's like drinking from a fire hose the whole time. And I think a lot of people are jumping into the space because of NFTs super quickly. Th there will be pretty significant shifts in, in price of certain assets, lots of volatility, right? Some people will be hurt. So I think taking a more deliberate step, like you described, Vanessa, uh, to really learn about what's happening underneath would be fruitful for most people. Yeah, I, I, I feel like the media loves to simplify things and have good guys and bad guys and simple headlines. And the reality is there's layers and layers of depth as we've heard about today, years and years of building that has occurred. And I think that there will definitely be shifts in value. But I also have noticed this tenacity and this elasticity, scar tissue, if you will, from the folks that have been in the industry a long time, where they can withstand the, the decreases in value of certain digital assets and handle them with a little bit more je ne sais quoi than maybe we all had the last two times. It's like, by the time you've been through that, you're battle tested. I think that you almost come to expect it. I wonder also if it's a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy when we talk about a crash, that there's a crash, right? You talk about something enough, it's likely to happen. But I think there's a lot more people that see opportunity with those dips. I think that the Reddit, crowd around Wall Street bets have actually created a more significant societal conditioning around buying the dip. And people actually are starting to enjoy the dip a little bit more than they used to. It's just my opinion. I want to throw it out there. Ben, what do you think? I'm actually with you. I used to check the price of Bitcoin every second and things of that nature back 2015, 16, things started heating up in the ICO world too. And then everything crashed. And if you really believed in the market and you really wanted to hang on, obviously, like you said, we've kind of been battle hardened through these really bear market runs and really brutal ones. The most recent one being 18 months, I think we're coming out of. So it's provided a lot of perspective for me. I, I stopped checking my portfolio as much and I've started focusing on quality as far as uh, projects from an NFT perspective versus quantity. To go back to the original question very quickly though, as far as do we see a lot of pickups because of the stimulus checks or things of that nature? No, I think people are impulse buyers, regardless of whether or not they have money to spend or not. If they see something they like, they're going to spend it. What I do see is is a little bit of that craze, that, that FOMO, that fear of missing out. But it's different than the ICO world, because unlike a token sale or things of that nature, NFT, the beauty of NFTs is, you know, they're designed to live forever. So you're not missing out on anything. You can obviously go and, and purchase, collect, find, uh, and follow your favorite artists for years. The difference being as to whether or not you actually want to dive into this full time and really become a and Vesa and I jokingly say, you know, how, how far down the rabbit hole do you want to go? Because it really doesn't end. Just one comment back to what Vesa said about the inflationary environment. One of the things that I did that really helped me have a difference of opinion, a shift of opinion, is instead of looking at a chart of Bitcoin 
valued in US dollars. I downloaded the data and I said, what, what is the dollar valued in Bitcoin, right? And if you look at that chart, instead of seeing an, an upward, sort of upward trend with a lot of volatile peaks, you just see kind of like a downward spiral in, in value. <laughs> and if you look at the dollar on that chart, it and I told you that was an investment I think you should make, you would go running. You'd say that I was, you know, a fool. Uh, so yeah, it's not just it's not just about the stimulus checks, put it that way. Absolutely. So guys, we hit a ton of great content during this podcast. Really appreciate it. Where can people go to learn more about the projects you're working on and uh, what you're up to personally? Vesa? Oh, yeah. My website is artforcrypto.com and you'll find me uh, on Twitter at artbyvesa, V-E-S-A. And uh, I'm fairly active there to my benefit and detriment, <laughs> to, uh, as, as most people are, I suppose, on Twitter. And uh, yeah, those are the easiest ways to get in touch or LinkedIn or something like that. But you'll discover all of that through my website. And I'd really like to thank you all for being able to be a part of this. And Ben, of course, for your friendship and collectorship and all, all these things. And I'd like to mention Saeed, of course, who's the founder of Shisha Finance, which is um, likely the reason that we're having this conversation and his faith and trust in me to carry from the artistic side this venture forward. It's really a privilege and, and an honor. So this has been an elevating conversation on many aspects. And Hopefully you allow some of my brain going a little lockdown mode a couple of times because I, I did wake up <laughs> in the middle of the night for this. So I'm a little, <laughs> little bit less lucid than I am normally. But thank you so much for allowing me to be a part of this. Thanks for being on. We're actually going to make all of our guests do this moving forward because you had some mind-blowing thoughts. So I, I think there's a new requirement for our future guests that, that we do it at 2.30 in the morning. See what happens. Do some sleep <laughs> deprivation. Yeah. I wanted to ask this. Uh, I, yeah, it's a quick answer. Because the way you guys said you met, have you actually been in the same physical space? Or is, has this been an online collaboration from the very beginning? And yeah, that's amazing. That's incredible. Yeah, we met in the middle of COVID and he's in Helsinki and I'm in Houston. So Beautiful. totally across the world from each other. Amazing. And to find out more about our project, Shisha Finance, we had said it before, it's shisha.finance. Please have a look. We've got all our socials up there. Mine personally is at BenL324 and my company is leftventures.com. But I am fully engaged in Shisha Finance and really excited to bring the best, not only of the DeFi world to our users, but also of the NFT world, thanks to Vesa. Okay, now well, we've reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs today. Thank you for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventures on this starship. So invite your friends and recruit those cool strangers that you can be sure will make this all so much better. How? Go to iTunes right this minute, rate us, say something cool. Follow us on Twitter and Insta at Edge of NFT, and then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. Uh, thanks, everybody, for joining. It was an amazing experience, and we look forward to following up soon. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it.